0: Ay oi, oi Shumai and what the fuck is happening? Welcome to ATR In Conversation With. These are going to be a bit of a break from the usual episodes of the At The Time Of Recording podcast. Uh, hopefully looking to do them on the in-between. Uh, as you know, the usual podcast is myself, Zach, with James, Shona, and Gemma sitting down and talking about the weirder side of the internet, the, you know, the most fucked up shit we can find to try uh, not only enlighten but gross each other out. What uh, these in-conversation episodes are going to be is exactly that, conversations with myself and interesting people from, uh, you know, things like music, uh, the arts, comedy, even small business owners. Basically, anyone with a story to tell that's worth hearing, I'm hopefully going to sit down and get to hear that story from them. Uh, This episode, this first uh, in-conversation with, is a two-parter. We uh, at the top of the episode, I get to sit down and speak to Malcolm Tent, uh, American singer-songwriter, uh, record mogul. He's, uh, he's been running his record label now, I believe for about 35 years. Uh, and I had a great time speaking with him, um, not only about his time uh, in and around punk rock, but also the, uh, you know, more exciting and more fucked up aspects of uh of his time as a punk rock musician uh in the back end of the episode we have a conversation with my good friend tim Holhouse. uh as a musician i know nobody who works harder than tim uh he is constantly on the road constantly writing uh redeveloping his style you know he plays everything from hardcore through country which we discussed a little bit in the episode and his reasons for working so hard and keeping himself busy so, stick around and listen to that. Um, in the meantime, if you like what you hear, you want more from the ATR podcast, we don't ask much. All we ask is spread the word, tell a friend uh, if you're on iTunes, like and subscribe, uh, or email us uh, if you have anything to say uh, on our email address, which is at the time of recording at gmail.com. In the meantime, uh, here is my conversations with the fantastic Mr. Malcolm Tent. And Tim Holhouse.
1: Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Malcolm Tent. I came all the way from Danbury, Connecticut, U.S. of A to be interviewed on this fabulous podcast hosted by...
0: Zach Williams.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're sounding as good as we look, and we look pretty good. So all you listeners out there, you're in for a treat.
0: So for those... um uninitiated, as it were, mm. in the ways of Malcolm Tent. Mm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. what, how, if you could describe yourself, say, in three words. In three words? In three words. Real we'll boil it down.
1: Well, I would, uh, well, let's see. Second coming of Jesus Christ. That's five words. I <laughs> can't do that. Um, really amazing dude is kind of generic. Um, so if you want to get descriptives yeah. and you want to count uh, sometimes two words as one as a descriptive, I'd say rock star, record mogul, that's it. Forward. words. Four words. <laughs> <laughs> rock star and record mogul, that kind of
0: so, sums it up. Excellent. I'd say you've um, been on the road with uh, Tim Hullhouse now for... Well, I don't how long. Oh, has Mr. It been? Tim
1: Holhouse. Almost two weeks at this point. Very how, close to two weeks.
0: How have you put up with him for so long?
1: <laughs> well, you know, I take a lot of naps. Yep. Um, I drink a lot of water. Um I, I practice anger anger management techniques and stress reduction techniques. Um I put uh, the principles of Tai Chi into practice. I also uh, yoga, uh clench my teeth, grind my teeth. Um I have this spasm in my arm now from clenching my fists all the time from dealing with Tim. Um it, it's been rough. Yeah, it sounds it, it's, it. It's, it's, it's been it's tough. It's see the listeners they they can't see Tim sitting here. They they can't really get an idea of just how difficult this guy is. Um two two weeks in a car with Tim whole it's been nerve-wracking. I don't know where to be. I don't know where to stop. I, I mean, it's just... It's
0: two weeks wild. in a car with anyone is going to be grinding, but especially... To, uh, the only reason I've invited Tim into my house today is uh, nefariously so I can get you on, Mike, Malcolm. So, oh, yeah,
1: well, you know, the, you know... You
0: can't have one without the other, unfortunately. we just want to leave Tim outside.
1: Yeah, he keeps coming... finds a way to keep coming in, you know? The <laughs> back door, the front door, an upstairs window. He's a resourceful guy. But, uh, yeah, he's uh, he put this whole thing together. A, a two-week... Tour of the UK, and I've never been to the UK before.
0: Oh, really? This is your first time. First time ever. Um, how have you found it so far?
1: I've uh, well, Tim found it. I mean, he you know <laughs> he kind of lives here. He knows where it is. He just sort of grabbed me by the ear and said, "Come on over here, boy," and uh, here I am. And nice. I gotta say, I'm having the time of my life.
0: Good. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad it's been. It's um, it's a weird old place. I mean, Swansea. You've only been here for, I can imagine, now. Best part of half an hour, including the drive-in. That's about right, yeah. Um, so initial thoughts on Swansea, it's it's not much of a place. I'm <laughs> going to put that out there to start. <clears throat> well,
1: usually I reserve judgment until I've walked around a place for a while.
0: Uh, you don't need to. If you've driven from the entrance to Swansea to here, you've seen more than enough. Oh, that's it, eh? Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: All right, well, uh, no comment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so to take it back... Um, as far back as it goes. Obviously, you're a traveling musician. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, as far as I know, have been for, for quite a while. So how did you get your start in music? What was uh, you know, what sparked your interest, say, in, in being a musician? Especially, obviously, one to, to push it that far and travel the world with it.
1: I'm kind of like Lady Gaga. I was born this way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> There's the, the dominant gene that
1: said, play music, make noise, take the message to the people. Um, I started my first band in 1983. Okay, when I was living in uh, Florida, in the U.S. of A. Um, terrible place, maybe worse than Swansea. Probably. It's called alligators. Because um, yeah. I've,
0: I've heard uh, it's really humid oh, yeah. in Florida. yeah. Um How does that translate into damp? Because Swansea is just like a city-wide damp problem. It
1: you know it's different. It really is because humidity is based on warmth whereas damp is based on the cold. Yeah, that's true. And one thing I have noticed here in the UK is that moss grows all over everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, We were in Liverpool a couple days ago, and there's moss growing off of the telephone boxes. (laughs) You know, you just don't see that in Florida. In Florida, it translates more into, like, mildew. Oh, okay. Like, nasty, brownish-gray stuff that grows all over the front covers of your records and ruins them. Uh, Really awful. Like, moss kind of has a sort of charm to it. Yeah, yeah. Mildew has none whatsoever.
0: But, like, it, it, as you say, you know, growing on the front of your records, um, talking about damn, this house itself is quite. and It's the same. With the comic books on my bookshelf tucked in the nearest corner, I pulled them out yesterday and I've found that they've all warped uh, and come misshapen. It's, it's yeah, not good. That's it's not terrible. good at all.
1: When you're a collector, I mean, especially, that makes it really rough.
0: Yeah, luckily, I'm anally kind of put them in an order so that the ones I cared less about got mm. to that point on the shelf but still you know i want to sat down you want to read something pull it out and it turns out that something that went onto the shelf in near mint condition has come out like this crumpled soggy mess that's yeah
1: in vg minus yeah it is not annoying good, not um, good
0: so going back as you say you started your first band in florida which band was this
1: uh that was a band called broken talent okay uh, a band known to uh, killed by death aficionados the world over uh it's a record that we did called blood slut uh, (laughs) and it's a uniquely american phenomenon i've found out um in the uk you guys don't have uh blood banks where people sell their blood
0: no no it's it's donated and you know yeah um like actively encouraged to donate but i I, can we sell blood over here tim Tim, I don't know if that picked on the mic, but Tim doesn't think we can no, sell blood.
1: No, I haven't spoken to anybody here in the UK that's ever heard of any such thing as selling your blood. But in the US, you know, being the great proponents of capitalism, we found ways to make money off of anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is actually good for people like starving college students, you know, because when they're, you know, when they need beer money. Yeah. They can just go down to the blood plasma center and sell a pint and get, I don't know what, I don't know what it is now, but it, in my day it was 10 bucks. <laughs> you get, get $10 for a pint of blood and the topic of the song blood slut is about the women who hang around at the blood plasma center waiting for those $10 bills to get doled out to the students who will then, you know, trade, <laughs> trade certain favors. <laughs> wow. it's, it's one of those things that is just so absurd. Yeah. That you couldn't believe it's true, but it's true. And uh, that just started the whole thing. We just released our one little seven inch record and I'm up to almost 200 releases now on my, my label TPOS Records. Oh, wow. Which uh, that was TPOS 001, the Blood Slut record.
0: So, so it started with that first record? Yeah. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah, and It's been going nonstop ever since. I've never stopped uh, playing. I've never stopped releasing records. I've never stopped doing music. Um, I had a record store. 21 years in Danbury, Connecticut which is the northeastern corner of uh, the states. That was a record store called Trash American Style and our stock and trade was punk, hardcore, underground. Um, We opened up in 1986 just in time for the youth crew explosion
0: of
1: straight edge hardcore in New York and Connecticut and that was a real bit of lucky, accidental timing.
0: I can imagine that was like a real boost for you in regards to like yeah foot would. trade and obviously you know word of mouth in regards to the you know the, the shop itself
2: for example yeah,
1: yeah i mean the, the the night we opened it was november 29th 1986 and that was the night of um i think one of the most pivotal shows that ever happened in connecticut and that was the night that seven seconds played at a club called the anthrax okay and that was kind of the equivalent for us of the ramones playing at the roundhouse oh, wow. in 1976 yeah, yeah. it's like every kid who was in the audience that night went out and Formed straight edge band yeah yeah you know including like local heroes like wide awake and aware and at the same time all the new york bands were starting to come together like you know gorilla biscuits yeah, yeah, yeah. war zone had already been around for a while but you know side by side and sick of it all and all the all this stuff was happening concurrent with our record store happening yeah, yeah. so it was like whenever i had to bring in new stock I would just give a call to Jordan Cooper at Revelation Records, who lived a couple of towns over in New Haven, and say, Jordan, can you bring me a couple boxes of Warzone seven inchers? Can I have, uh, you know, 150 sick of it, all seven inches? And he would just bring them up. And um, that was very exciting.
0: I can imagine. So you were, well, you were there in the thick of it when it was all oh. happening, essentially. Yeah, totally. Um, I see, you know, The closest thing experience-wise I've had to that. There was, like, one summer in Swansea where someone had an American connection and started bringing over bands like uh, Lemur and Iron Sheik, mm, like mm-hmm. modern punk bands. So, like, yeah. you know, there was a while we they were playing in Swansea, but then that guy moved to England, and now no bands play in Swansea yeah, anymore. Right? Any, so well, there you go, there you go. So, yeah, uh, it must have been an exciting time then.
1: Oh, it was very exciting. Um, The whole period between when we opened and, I guess... Early '90s, and Tim and I had in one of our epic conversations about um, music on driving around the UK was how, in my opinion, a lot of those bands like you know um, Youth of Today and Bold were just starting to hit their stride musically in the early '90s and then broke up.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: You know, so you know the 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 the, um, the stereotypical holy grail is the first twenty Revelation releases. Um, I, I I can never remember what number twenty was. Okay. on Revelation <laughs> might have been the Gorilla Biscuits album. I don't remember, but like that whole era was like tremendously exciting because there was so much going on, and we had the right combination of bands, venue, and location. Because the Anthrax was an all an all ages venue, no bounce no bouncers. Oh, cool! Self policing. Yeah, yeah, and.
0: Every, exactly what every, you need in that kind of situation yeah,
1: yeah every band that ever meant anything to the scene played at the anthrax oh wow and so it was just it was perfect
0: yeah yeah i can imagine
1: yeah and that was just a part of you know this entire 33 year arc yeah, yeah. of what i've been doing i'm sorry make that 35 year arc of you know being in music and making a living from music and art and um creativity.
0: Exactly, and that's you know what I want to talk to people about. Uh, the original idea with doing this show was talking to people much like yourself who have just grafted and made it happen. You know, it's all well and good. I feel having an interest and a hobby. You know, mm-hmm. I I have loads. of, obviously stuff like the the podcast and the comedy, playing a couple of bands, do illustration. But at the end of the day, I work in a call center nine till five, Monday mm-hmm. to Friday. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I find it really interesting talking to people who just pushed and pushed and made it happen and you know there's obviously there's going to be the the good times and the low times yeah they go hand in hand with it and you know that's kind of what I'm here to, to talk to you about so in that aspect um what would you say is one of your career highlights for example in your time in music
1: well that that's actually very easy because it happened only last year oh right um uh, my, my favorite band in the entire universe is Devo
0: nice Devo a fantastic band
1: yep amazing um, I've been a fan of theirs since the very first album came out 40 years ago in 1978. I bought it new. Oh, wow. And I've been completely devolved ever since. And there's a Devo fan gathering that, that occurs in Ohio, okay. in the, the home state of Ohio of Devo. And this guy, Jerry Casali, who is the bass player, graphics artist, stage designer, uh, co-writer of all the songs, co-lead singer of all the songs, like he basically he invented Devo. Yeah, yeah, you know, and like Mark Mothersbaugh, the lead singer is the the very visible front man and the one that everybody associates with Devo. But Jerry is the guy who really
0: he was the driving force. He
1: makes it happen. No, no Jerry, no Devo. It's oh, just that right. simple. And Jerry's also very fan friendly, so he comes out to these events and hangs out and does a Q and A and signs autographs and does does the whole thing. Uh, last year. Um, just to backtrack a little bit, they have a they have a Devo tribute band that plays every year, and last year I got drafted into service playing guitar. Oh, amazing! Which, which quite frankly, I didn't want to do because Devo stuff is very difficult to play. Yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. really is. It's not easy. Um, and there wasn't a whole lot of rehearsal time, and I don't consider myself to be that well that good of a guitar player to take on a task like that. But they didn't have any like no one else could do it. They had no one else to do it, so I was like, okay. I'm going to I'll fumble through this thing begrudgingly, yeah. <laughs> but I'll do it. And so they sent over the set list, and it's like, you know, this Devo song, that Devo song, and then um, there was a note that says on the song, "Spin the Wheel," David Kendrick will join us. And David Kendrick was Devo's drummer from 1987 to 1991. Oh, cool. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, that yeah, makes thing's a little little spicier. And then at the end of the set it said, "Beautiful World, Jerry and David." And I was like, oh, oh my wow. God, this has gotten very serious all of a sudden. That that's 40% of Devo. I was going it's
0: gone from something you're like, ah, you know, I, I should do it begrudgingly to, oh shit, I need to do this and I need to do this well. I exactly. can imagine. Exactly. And
1: and you you hit the the punchline right there. You gotta do it well. Yeah. Because with those guys, there's no messing around. Um so I was like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna do this. <laughs> so I don't know if I can, but I'm gonna do this. And I figured just to make it even more difficult, I would ask David Kendrick, the drummer, if he would back me up on a couple of my songs. Oh, cool. Because I do, I do a fair number of Devo songs in my set, including songs from the album that he... One of the albums that he played drums on. Oh, nice. I said, well, you know what? Why not just in for a penny, in for a pound? I'll, exactly. I'll get the guy who actually helped create the tracks, back me up on my sniveling little versions of them. <laughs> and... Um, when we got into rehearsal, I knew what it was going to be like because he sat down behind the drums and said, "Okay, you ready?" I said, "Yeah." One, two, three, four, boom, into it. None of this. Well, are, are you ready? Do you think you got it? You're all into it. And it was like, when, yeah, he, yeah. when he When he asked, "Are you ready?" he meant, "You're ready."
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. The preparation is done in your own time. This is playing through the songs now, not figuring out the songs. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah.
1: And luckily, I'm, I'm a I'm a very I'm a firm believer in rehearsal. I don't do anything unless I've worked it out well in advance, so I had him. And the guy was just so on. Nice. So on. It was perfect. Yeah. uh. So perfect that we only did one take of each song, and I I, I recorded each, because I record everything. I record every band I play with, I record every set I've ever played. I recorded the rehearsal, and his drums were so perfect that I was able to use them as the foundation for a track which I'm releasing as a record, which is going to be TPOS number 200. Oh, wow. Yeah, my 200th release is going to be me. Uh, I'm calling it the Malcolm Tent Power Duo featuring David Kendrick. (laughs) And, you know, enough said. So anyway, that was just the, that was the preliminary. Yeah, Yeah. The main event came the night of the show when it was David Kendrick, Jerry Casali, this guy, Scott Orsi, who's a really good keyboard player and is one of the organizers of the Devo fan convention, and this schlub sitting right here, <laughs> you know, with a guitar on. And it was the same deal. They plugged in. They said, okay, here we go. One, two, three, four, and we were off. And just getting to play, not, not even just because it was Devo, yeah, <laughs> but the fact that they were such incredible musicians, world-class musicians. And you don't get to play with musicians of that caliber Ever really. Yeah, yeah. You know, ever. I mean they they've forty years on playing all the big stages all around the world. It, it's it's not shooting pool.
0: No, no, it's it's you know, drilled in military style of that point. With that much repetition of uh, you know, the output that they had as a band. Yeah. As you said, it's it's there for them now. They just they harness it one, two, three, bang. And to be able to carry your weight with that must have been incredible
1: and that was it and that was the highlight yeah of my 35 years in doing this was being able to if i dare say hold my own with heavyweights like that exactly and and, and just the fact that they were two of the guys from my favorite man of all time ever was just the filling in the twinkie that was really (laughs) that was it
0: I've got to say, if you, if you don't mind me saying, that is a fucking incredible highlight. <laughs> I,
1: I would have to agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't argue with you on that one, sir. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Amazing. Um, and uh, when initially I put the idea of recording forward to Tim, uh, he did mention that you once worked with Gigi Allen. Oh,
1: Gigi Allen. Yeah, that was bound to come up at some point, I yeah, well, you ask the questions and I'll answer them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I did also preface uh, the interview saying, "There's anything you don't want to talk about." <laughs> oh
1: no, you know, it, at the end of the day, I'll talk about anything. It's just okay. you might not necessarily want to hear what I have to say about it. Okay, so that, that's, that's my caveat. Yeah, no, know, by all means, both ways. <laughs> well, the Gigi Allen thing that was um, that began one day when uh, somebody walked into my store and said, "Hey, you got anything by Gigi Allen?" And I'd kind of heard of Gigi because he used to advertise in uh, Maximum Rock and Roll. Yeah. All the time, If you know, if you or the listeners know, the preeminent punk and hardcore magazine uh, still is. In this digital age, it's still a print magazine, comes out every month, and they are just comprehensive in their coverage of punk and hardcore. And Gigi would always advertise in MRR. So I had his address. I wrote to him, said, What you got? He sent me a whole list of cassettes that he had available because at that time in uh late 1986 he was so broke and yeah. so strong out and you know one step from living on the streets all he could do was run off cassettes of all of his records and like bootlegs he had made of his own live shows and whatnot. Oh, wow. <laughs> so i i basically you know ordered a bunch of stuff from him um i told him i couldn't i, I had to sell him on consignment he said no consignment i thought well that's the end of that and then a few days later, a great big box of tapes arrived in the mail, saying, "You better not rip me off."
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh shit!
1: He, he was just so gung ho to get his message out that yeah. he went ahead and sent the tapes anyway. And so, you know, I was able to pay him within a reasonable amount of time, and that just kind of began like, like a very, uh, a very pleasant working relationship. <laughs> with e. D. Allen. And. um things got very real a couple months later when this guy, Brian Douglas Clemens and anybody who's listening to this here podcast should look up Brian Douglas Clemens because he's a story in and of itself. Yeah. Um, Brian Douglas Clemens had this idea for a video that he wanted to make. And um, the basic concept was old Brian wanted to go into a, a bare empty room and be tied up, pissed on, raped in the mouth, Oh, wow. And have somebody read his poetry while all this was going on.
0: I did not see Raped in the Mouth coming at all then. It was like tied up, pissed on, Raped in the Mouth, fucking. Yeah, you know,
1: like I said, Brian was quite the character in his own right. It is definitely worth researching. He's, of course, not alive anymore. You wouldn't expect someone like like that to live very old. He didn't. (laughs) Um, And so he called me saying, hey, do you know anybody who will help me do this video? And I said, I think I know the guy. (laughs) I think I know who can help you actualize this dream. (laughs) So we set up this video shoot, which involved just the most ridiculous circumstances you can imagine. Like Brian, in so many words, stealing his father's car. Um, We rented a very expensive video camera from a, a video store. Because uh, this was in the days when video cameras were not common currency. Yeah, you know, yeah. They were these big, bulky, really expensive things. And you had to go rent one if you couldn't afford one. So you yeah. had to rent this video camera from a, a, a video store and drive up to New Hampshire and do this thing with Gigi. And <laughs> um, I doubt that it's on YouTube because it's, yeah, just, it's yeah. just so insane. It's just completely screwed up. It's it's one of those things that to this day, I mean like I make it available on DVDR, but I've I tried in the past to get a manufacturer and a distributor for it. No one no one will touch it. Oh wow. Uh it's the kind of thing that YouTube will yank probably within seconds of <laughs> it being put up. Uh it's worth you know, you can try to look at it. It's, it's called the $20 poem. The $20 poem.
0: The $20
1: poem by by Gigi Allen and Brian Douglas Clemens. And The scenario that I described to you earlier that Brian wanted to have played out was just a very kind of mild version of what actually did happen. Oh, shit. And I got it all... Yeah, you're right.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, G.J. Allen was involved. Of
1: course. (laughs) And I got to videotape the whole thing. Oh, no. (laughs) It was amazing. And it ended up with me trying to drive. I had never driven in... New England snow before, yeah. you know, Florida. There's no snow, so it's April. It's winter. There's snow. Brian's passed out drunk, and he's just been beaten half to death by Gigi Allen, and I crashed his father's car, and <laughs> it was just like, it was just beyond belief. Yeah, and, uh, we found it. Got back to Connecticut. I got a call the next day from Gigi saying that the New Hampshire police were looking for Brian's father because his car had been involved and in all. That. Oh no. <laughs> and that's just one of three Gigi stories I have. <laughs> well, wow. Okay. And, it, uh, the upshot was that Gigi, you know, he, he sent me lots of tapes and stuff, said I could release them. And so yeah. I did. And I've, I've always had that sort of involvement with yeah, him and yeah. his catalog ever since. You know, oh, wow. Like, uh, yeah, I've actually got a G.G. Allen LP in the, at the pressing plant right now. I've got um, an album of stuff I've been licensing from other labels. Um, and what I'm trying to do is present the idea of G.G. Allen as, an, as a comprehensive artist. Okay. Um, with, with liner notes to sort of tie the whole thing together. So this new album, which is going to be called Portrait of the Artist as a Public Animal... It's got GG solo acoustic stuff. It's got GG rock and roll stuff, spoken word, and this experimental noise material that he did. Yeah, which not a whole lot of people know about, but he did a lot of experimental noise, and it's pretty cool. It's it's not what one would necessarily expect. Yeah. From oh. GG Allen. Oh wow! But it's really neat.
0: Oh nice. There we go. So that's something you're putting out on your label.
1: Yeah, that's going to be TPOS number one eighty six.
0: Ah oh, very cool,
1: and, um, yeah, it's at the test pressing stage right now, and I hope to have the whole thing out by maybe maybe uh summer if all goes well.
0: Ah, oh, fantastic, there we go, yeah, so as you say, um playing in punk bands, uh I can imagine predominantly in the early stages, mm-hmm. um what brought you to uh like solo acoustic performance? no, well, it's punk rock, it is punk rock,
1: yeah, it's just, it's just the same thing. Um, the way I uh, just don't have
0: to wait on a goddamn rhythm section. <laughs> oh, it's
1: always the drummer, as we say. <laughs> it's always the drummer. Um, I couldn't even really tell you how I got it. Well, I, I could actually. Um, at one point after my store was taken away from me by a greedy landlord. Yeah. I realized that I, I could actually do more music. And I was trying to decide between doing stand up comedy or doing solo acoustic. Okay. Cool. Punk rock, and eventually doing it with the guitar won out. Um, and I'm I'm gonna go out go way out on a limb, and I'm gonna say this because I played with many many people over the years. I played everywhere. I'm, really, nobody does it the way I do it. Okay. The way I do it is pure attack. Yeah. Um. It's all just basic bar chords. It's it's the way that a, an acoustic guitar is not supposed to be played. But I don't know how to play it. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't. So. You know, when I when I go out there and I play either a Ramones song or one of my own songs or a Black Flag song, it's pretty much the way that an electric guitarist would attack it.
0: So, yeah, exactly. There's no uh, attempt to realize it as an acoustic song. You're no. just playing the song with the the energy and frosty that it was meant to be played with. Essentially. Exactly.
1: That's exactly it. And um, it's, it's not singer-songwriter, it's, it's not pretty, it's just 100% no-nonsense, heads-down, punk rock. It just happens to be one guy with a guitar instead of a full band.
0: Nice. Yeah, it's cool. But it, I'm actually quite interested in what you just said about um, the uh, decision you made uh, between mm-hmm. solo acoustic performance and stand-up comedy. Yeah. Because uh, I am, at the moment, in early stages of attempting stand-up comedy. I've only oh, done oh. a few shows myself, but... Yeah uh do you have any uh did you get any stage time when you were starting out or was it you just went kind of i'll do the guitar thing instead
1: yeah i i well what happened was i put together a couple of routines yeah and i ran them by some people and got mixed reaction at best (laughs) (laughs) like some people thought it was really funny some people just thought it was not really gonna happen and I figured that wasn't good enough odds. Yeah, yeah. You know, because you know some people are good at it and some people aren't. But I knew I could do guitar.
0: Ah, there we go. Exactly. So
1: yeah, it was just a matter of practicality. But yeah, it never even got to the the tryout stage. Ah, ah there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I found that when I first started, I wrote uh, just five minutes uh, and uh, was having a jam with the guitarist of the the band I'm in, mm-hmm. uh, pale bastard, listen, to pale bastard. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and. Yeah, I wrote it, and he is like your stereotypical doom metal guy, and he's walking around, he's got like Ed Gein patches on his jacket and stuff, so mm-hmm. maybe not the, the best moral compass to run the jokes by, because I thought they were quite fucked up, and I run them past him, and he was like, no, they could be sicker, you, sh- you should make these uh, You should make these worse.
1: Mm-hmm. Took his mm-hmm. advice,
0: uh, and then that first time, luckily he and like my brother and a few friends were there in the room at this open mic I did, so I got laughs out of them, but yeah. it was just majoratively like horrified faces.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of what went down when I when I I I had what what was I thought was my star bit. Yeah. that I gave to people and they thought yeah, that's that's not going to fly. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious, but uh yeah, the the public element. <laughs> uh
0: obviously if you don't mind me asking, do you remember what it was?
1: I remember it pretty well. Um
0: <laughs> put you on the spot now.
1: Yeah, I think we just won't go there. Okay, that's fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> maybe maybe after I after after I finally croak, I'll have like a posthumous video
0: that'll be ready to be shown.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Excellent, there you go. Um so um hmm. in regard are you were saying um obviously it's a thirty five year career you've had doing it. Um is it Majority,ly then just in punk rock.
1: Oh, all of it. Yeah. I mean, that's it, amazing. It, yeah. Except, I mean, because, you know, punk rock is what you make of it. Yeah. You know? 100%. Never, 100%. Never been one into to strictures or definitions, but it's all been based in completely DIY, completely independent thought. Um,
0: the most punk rock it can be. That, that's the one yeah. thing I ever said, like, when, um, too often you because the same, um, like in I used to play in a punk band, Dividers, back in the day, and that was the same again, it was all a hundred percent DIY, everything yeah. off our own backs. And then you'd see bands like, Oh yeah, we're a we're a pop punk band, and they've got like agents and managers and
1: pure hate.
0: Yes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um like this I can't remember what they were called, uh, but it comes up every now and again on like a suggested post on Facebook of this band who they're like the new big pop punk band, but their fucking video is, you know one of those, you see the fucking memes and it's got like the uh, the letterbox on it with like the meme writing like, Zom, you should share this with 10 of your friends or uh, something. Uh, it's, oh my, it, it fucking, I, I can feel my blood boiling. Uh, as soon as I just, even if I scroll past it, don't give it the time of day, it will just piss me off the next hour.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, exactly what this thing is not supposed to be about in my yeah. opinion i'm just stating opinions here folks but <laughs> you know it was uh, it, it's like we can get it we could get into ages and ages of talk about how punk rock took a left turn somewhere or got corrupted somewhere or yeah. got co-opted somewhere it's like anything good that comes from the underground and i've always maintained that everything good comes from the underground nothing good has ever come from up top no, no, ever. Nothing has trickled down to the masses. It's been good. It's all been grown by the people. Um, it's all come about organically, and it's all been the the, the product of somebody's original idea.
0: It's the same know? with um, like the roots of um, like say punk rock and hip hop, and now grime. Are you aware of grime, like the oh, yeah. the UK based take hop? Sure. And it all starts off as the the vending process for like disenfranchised youth, essentially. Right. But it grows and it grows and it grows, and then, as you say, the people up top start to take notice that oh, this is the thing now. Yeah. And then it gets cherry picked, and and all of a sudden you've just got this homogenized, bastardized version, fucking fifty cent indie club, kind of. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. But you know, it's inevitable. It's just the way it is. And and the good thing is it they've they will never be able to kill the real thing. Yeah. They they the real thing's never going to go away. It's it's always there. It's always going to be there. Might be harder to find sometimes, but it ain't going away. And um, that's why I love doing it on this level. You know, the aforementioned Tim Wholehouse and I, like, driving around and playing these shows at... You know, the weirdest venues. You know, we we played a, a a bike shop in Clitheroe. We played on a boat on the River Thames. We've played oh, really? <laughs> yeah, old pubs. We've played hotels. We've played, you know, like just in my own thing, I've I've played record stores, I've played Christian punk houses, I've played youth centers, I've played living rooms, backyards, regular venues. <laughs> it's just like that is the very essence of DIY. There's always gonna be somebody out there who does have the right idea. And is willing to nurture the good stuff, which is here on this level. And you know, I I have gotten uh, comfortable with the fact long ago that I'm never going to be on that level. Yeah, you know, yeah, with like sponsors and labels, and but I don't want that. You know, I want to have my artistic freedom. No one's ever going to tell me what to play. Yeah, ever. No one's going to make me change my lyrics. Ever. It ain't going to happen. And so if that means that my audience might be anywhere between five and ten people a night, so be it. That's going to be five or ten people a night who are there because they want to hear what I have to say and want to hear what I have to play. And And get
0: the truest experience of what you have to offer.
1: Exactly. Love it or leave it. If you don't like it, the bar is in the next room or whatever. But those who want to hear it are going to hear it. And we're all going to have a good time. It's going to be a cool, fun experience no matter what.
0: Uh, so, which leads me to tonight, oh, cool, fun experience. Uh, you are playing in Mozart. That's what I'm told. It's, I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. It should be a good one. Um, it's a charity fundraiser. I know the boys have been pushing the promotion on it, so uh, I look forward to it. And with that, I'd like to say, Malcolm Tent, thank you ever so much for being my first ever interview. I goddamn enjoyed it.
1: Well, Zach, it was a pleasure. And Thank you
0: very much. i was going to give you the unaudible uh, handshake. <laughs> right on. Cheers, brother. Hello, Tim Hallhouse.
2: Hello, Zach. How are you doing? I'm bad?
0: good. How's things, man?
2: Yeah, it's been good. Yeah, it's been good. Tired, but good. <laughs> Is this day 13 of the tour? Yeah, I think so. Something like that. So, yeah, get in there.
0: It's all starting to become a blur, I can imagine. Yeah,
2: I've just back to back toward since uh, December. Yeah.
0: So, as I say, for those um, uninitiated in the Tim Hull House brand, if you can call it such a thing, um, describe what you do.
2: Uh, Road dog, I guess. Uh, Kind of traveling hobo. Musical Mad Max. Yeah. Kind of don't really... I mean, a lot of people say blues, but then there's punk in there and uh, just wrote, uh, wrote and recorded a country album in the summer. Oh, nice. So... Yeah, I just do what I want to do and I just travel around and I'm just very lucky that people like what I do and do do a lot of shows all over the world and travel the world. So, my year started in Canada, in Toronto, New Year's Eve in Canada. Oh, wow. That's quite cool and then did a tour across Canada and into Trumpland and, uh, oh. and then that was pretty cool. West Coast, I hadn't done the West Coast for a long time, caught up with a lot of old friends and... Uh, and went into Mexico for the first time, and that was absolutely one of the most eye-opening experiences I've ever had in my life.
0: Was oh, that to perform? or...? Yeah,
2: we did two shows in uh, in in Mexico in Tecate and Tijuana. Oh wow! Yeah, it's like Mad Max down there. <laughs> uh, bonnets are not essential on cars apparently. Oh really? You can actually drive a car with. If, well, I guess it doesn't rain down there. It's like thirty degrees when we were there Fucking in February. Hell. So it was like yeah, it was like cars without bonnets and. Uh, the driving situation crossroads are, is is a, just a game of chicken <laughs> <laughs> and we were definitely very chicken yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> <Right>, stop <laughs> in and go no yeah, you go first
0: just sit in the middle of traffic and let it happen around you till yeah, it's yeah. quiet enough just to continue exactly <laughs> i wasn't
2: driving thankfully cuz I, I would have been a bit more nervous my friend had been there before so he uh, he was driving but yeah it's definitely a, an experience <laughs>
0: um so yeah as you say you are a a road dog you're a traveling man you you pedal your wares across across this flat earth yeah just a, but i'm not a flat earther just just, just in <laughs> case I, or as i said well, that, we were just, just like...
2: in the fence it was pretty flat there <laughs>
0: <laughs> um but yeah you travel around a lot um touring you do spoken word as well
2: yeah i just started doing spoken word which i uh, was funny you were mentioning on the malcolm interview that uh doing stand-up comedy. It's kind yeah. of like sit-down comedy. <laughs> I, um, I sit there with a the microphone pretty much like I'm sat now and just tell stories about touring around, and they're usually pretty funny because uh, mad shit happens on the road. Yeah, There's yeah. nothing funnier than the truth, is there? You know, it's like... <laughs> it's like, yeah, so I I, I did that, and uh, I thought, you know, because I'm writing a book called Make the Bad Man Stop. Okay. And the record label want me to do a spoken word CD with it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, and uh they were like, Oh yeah, yeah, do a spoken word C D so I was like, right, oh, I might try and do this on uh, on the road. So I did like uh, just over a week uh, of spoken word shows and I think uh, I thought, Oh, you know, well I'll start stop the book when the spoken word tour starts. Yeah. That threw up a, a new one. Uh girl <laughs> a poet girl just before me got completely naked before she performed. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, that was uh, interesting, having to go on and you can... And and the funny thing was, when she got dressed back after she'd played, she was at the side of the stage, I could see her. She put her top on, but she didn't put her bottom half on for a long time. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) oh, yeah, well... There it is. Yeah. Yeah. And see it again. Yeah, she's a <laughs> lovely girl. But, and I understood why she did it. She was trying to desexualize the female form. Yeah. Yeah. And I understand all that. But it, it is, at the end of the day, there is a naked girl stood there on stage. Yeah. It's going to blindside you. And you've got to follow that. <laughs> How do
0: you follow that?
2: I just sat there and just went, right. I'm keeping my clothes on. I don't even wear shorts. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I'm not, that, that's, that's, that's the one thing I'm not Lemmy on. I don't wear the little shorts like Lemmy used to. I can't, I can't. Nobody needs to see my legs.
0: I've really got into the the little shorts when performing recently. Uh, I found a little pair of Nike like football shorts I didn't know I owned. I hate football. <laughs> Put them on for band practice. Game changer.
2: It was amazing. <laughs> I, I don't think I could do that. I've got eczema on my legs. I was, <laughs> <laughs> Nobody needs to see my scaly legs. I'm like <laughs> a lizard. <laughs>
0: um, so um when you if you don't mind, take us back to the origins. Where did Tim Hullhouse... First appear.
2: Uh, well, my first sort of appearance, I guess, was uh, I was born in Dorchester. <laughs> uh, I came up with my mum and went hi. Uh, I was Tim born-
0: House issue one,
2: issue one. I was born like a month and a half early. I was supposed to be born on Christmas Day, and my birthday's ninth of November. Oh, really? I was obviously very fucking curious <laughs> what was going on. Uh, I was told the doctors told my parents that I was going to be dead uh, by the morning. Give me a name, and so my name, Timothy, is Timothy Charles Wholehouse. Is my full name i don't like telling people my middle name but i will do um and that is because language timothy or i think it was called sorry ronnie corbett was on the tv okay and then it was followed up by some news about prince charles and my dad just went right that'll do he's gonna <laughs> be gone by the morning sort of thing and then oh it was like my god that's heartbreaking and then, and then uh, my parents were very upset and stuff and giving me a name and the doctor went in first thing in the morning um to uh, see, you know, pronounce me dead, and I pissed in his face. <laughs> <laughs> so I was punk rock from the start. Fucking <laughs> eh? <eight. laughs> nice. And uh, so I survived. Obviously, I'm still alive. Um, maybe that sort of knowing that has given me a, a sort of lust for life that probably you know some people don't have. I just like kind of. Like, fuck it, let's do this.
0: Was that information that was provided to you at an early age? Or did yeah, you yeah, parents...
2: very early age. So I was sort of very, sort of, you know, you're lucky to be here sort of thing. And... Comes up
0: in arguments.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that. So, But yeah, musically, I guess, I kind of started a punk band when I was 14. Uh, I had two strings on a bass. Nice. Uh, took the G and the D off because they were confusing me. And uh, we were called the Annabelle Club, which was... Uh, basically Annabelle was this girl that our guitarist Steve fancied and he thought if he named the band after her she would fall for him. (laughs) It did kind of the opposite effect. She hated us. Oh no. (laughs) uh, Yeah, he never got that date. I got a little kiss off her though. Oh. He didn't like that. Um, I say, is
0: that information you want to be posting on the internet? Oh,
2: St- Stevie Bull is now uh, is now long since out of the music scene. He uh, he quit music to concentrate on his career to become a famous cocktail waiter. Oh, there we go. He's currently managing a Weatherstones in Plymouth. So nice. I think he's achieved his goal there.
0: Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Can, you can imagine with the employee discount in a Weatherstones, they probably pay you to eat there. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh yeah so uh but yeah no we, we we were terrible um but we had uh we had a good heart and i really enjoyed it and uh i just over the years did i was in a probably like the the, the bands that have come through that have been like the biggest i guess shima was like this uh seven piece godspeed you black emperor wannabe <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous <laughs> nearly got signed, put out a record, John Peel and Steve Lamac played it. Oh wow. We were quite loved in Exeter and um, we played with Snow Patrol once and more people watched us than Snow Patrol. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, there's still people down in Exeter going, no, yeah, I remember uh, Snow Patrol at the cavern. I was like, no, I know all 30 people who are still in the audience. We had about <laughs> 60 watching <laughs> us. So we were locally quite popular. It didn't quite work out, kind of blew it. So was um, Exeter
0: your stomping grounds coming up? Exeter
2: was where I we went down to university to did a music degree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I'm actually, technically, I have a qualification in music, which is strange. I don't play anything to a grade or actually most of the time know what I'm playing. So I was kind of like, just, you're going to put me on this degree. I've just been a blagger over the years.
0: Just pure music or like music Um, tech or music industry? Yeah, it was
2: music... Pure music, but I did a lot more studio stuff just because yeah, they yeah. were like, Well, you can't do composi- many composition modules because <laughs> you can't read or write music. Yeah, yeah, it would have just been a scroll of dots on a page, and I'd have just gone, Yeah, I don't know if that's a thing. I no, <laughs> no idea of the rules, but yeah, it was, it was, it, that was good. And then, um, when I moved up to London, I joined a hardcore band called Seeing the Darkness, who were like in the enemy and stuff. And again, John Peel played that, um, and it was sort of Screamo Hardcore. and That and again another case of like oh it was sort of so nearly there yeah yeah. it was like um, around the time Million Dead got signed they were all right they were our opening act oh bloody hell so they were like our opening band and then sort of we shunned all these after a bit of enemy press and stuff we shunned a lot of the major labels and decided we were doing it all ourselves. so next thing we know, Million Dead are headlining and we're below them. So, But no, I have I've, I've, I've li- I liked all those guys and stuff. So I have no hard feelings. It was just sort of like the other guys in the band were a lot older and yeah, liked yeah. their jobs. And I kind of wanted to do it for a living. And then uh, I got stolen from that band. We were kind of coming to an end. Hardcore bands, three years, I think, hardcore yeah, bands are yeah. kind of done, aren't they? So a we shelf three, life. Yeah, so we kind of done it three years. And uh, I joined a sludge metal band called Among the Missing. Again, started getting somewhere, it was going really well. We were in Kerrang, Terrorizer. We were like, for, for a while, weekly, we were in fucking Kerrang. It was just ridiculous. Oh, yeah. We were like, interview or review of a record, or somebody put it on their jukebox that they were listening to the Among the Missing they Album. They
0: do tend to, I find, at Kerrang, they'll herald a band. Like, they'll find a band and they will run with them until yeah. like, the next one comes along.
2: But That that was the problem. It was all to, to everything that the rest of the guys had always wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. they'd wanted it to be in Kerrang, and that was all they'd ever dreamed of when they dreamed doing an album. So the album comes out, and everybody loves it. That's the point we go on tour. That's the point we were getting off to go to America, to go to Ireland, off to mainland Europe. Nobody wanted to, oh, but it's my holiday time from work. I'm like, yeah, but we got to do this. Yeah, this is an yeah, opportunity. Yeah. Um yeah and it just so then everybody took the foot off the gas i wrote the entire second album uh myself and um actually i'm not on the second album because we were recording it all my tunes yeah with my <laughs> lyrics i left the lyrics book in there i just everybody was arguing and i just went out because vocals were always the last thing to put on i was yeah. just the vocalist um i've always been like the front man since the first band i've always just and shimo when i was on bass I shima i had she got quite good on bass but i kind of always got pushed to the front because i was cocky yeah and, yeah, yeah. and, and so um, but being the front man you just you record the vocals last and everybody was arguing and i went out to buy a packet of cigarettes and was kind of bored to tears and i was just like oh, saw the saw the tube station just carried on walking so actually the last album even though i wrote all the songs i don't actually appear on it so that stereotype you see
0: in the sitcoms of the dad who goes out for cigarettes and doesn't come back, was that I, based on I you? I was that, yeah,
2: <laughs> I was that guy. I was, it was like, uh, actually had a conversation with the original drummer from Placebo. Oh, yeah. Um, And uh, he was in a band called Lomax with a guy called Paul Epsworth. And my friend John, Uh, Paul Epsworth now like very famous. He wrote half the Adele album and stuff. Oh, wow. Like, but we were, he was the original drummer in Placebo and we were ch- the, the, one of the guys in the band and I can't remember his name now, but he was chatting to me about that. He did the same with Placebo. They recorded the first album. he just finished his drums. Brian was doing his nutting and he <laughs> went out for smokes and just didn't come back. Fucking hell!
0: It's <laughs> <That's> incredible. <laughs> it was like, I was like,
2: mate, I did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's,
0: happens more often than not. Then,
2: yeah, yeah. I think I think it's a thing. You just kind of, and then you get the phone call the next day, like, where the fuck did you go? I'm done. Yeah, Sorry.
0: No, I, just, I, I just can't.
2: I can't do it. And I started doing solo stuff around that time. And by the by, the end of that band, because nobody wanted to do any gigs, um, our island tour with Drainland, who are a fantastic band on Southern Lord uh we got offered to tour with them and they didn't want to do it so i said fuck it i'll do it solo and went out so i very early on yeah yeah. solo stuff i was opening for very loud bands yeah so it's it 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 really cuts your chops because you're playing a metal gig it's not like you're playing a singer 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 songwriter night or anything and and that's probably where a lot of my style came from was realizing that had to be heard over the top of loud punk bands or loud hardcore bands no. well,
0: I remember a couple of years back so I haven't done any acoustic stuff myself in fucking ages but I got offered a gig and didn't know much about it it was la- on the day oh shit we need open an opening act I was like alright I'll grab my acoustic I'll be down just did like four or five like Kimia Dawson covers you know there was like 20 yeah, yeah, similar yeah. kind of songs hardcore band straight after me and I was just like oh for fuck no wonder everyone sat there looking so fucking bored during my yeah. set. Like, I covered one Defeater song though because they had some like acoustic songs at the end of their album so they loved that and I was like oh right yeah, it's at least buy a hardcore band if not a hardcore song <laughs> yeah
2: well I think, I think one of my favourites for uh, the ridiculous actually was uh, two uh, one of which was in Swansea I'll tell, the se- I'll tell that one second the okay. first one was uh, uh, opening for Knuckle Dust and Nine Bar okay um two tough guy hardcore bands but pierre from uh knuckle dust is a good friend of mine and Matty from nine bar they put me on in the trinity and harrow on the hill and got like prowler and all these like bands playing and all the kids are doing their wind farming (laughs) and i'm like i've got to go on after all this this is ridiculous oh shit (laughs) i'm like a dude with an acoustic guitar playing blues yeah kind of blues punk but blues um and uh, Pierre just gets up and he's like, "Right, this is my mate Tim. You're all gonna sit down. You're all gonna listen to him. <laughs> <laughs> you're here especially. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna listen." And they all sat down like on troop. It's like he was the scout leader. Oh and my all God. sat down and all watched me. And I was like, and they seemed really into it. Well like, I actually quite quite got into it. And it was like kids coming up to me like, going, "I only like hardcore and hip hop, but I love what you do." <laughs> wow. And I was trying to explain like how blues was like. Very similar to hip hop. It's a similar yeah, tempo. Yeah. It's a similar beat, and it's from the same place. Pissed off black dudes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, oppressed oppression. It's from oppression, and they were like, oh, "That's really cool." And like, actually felt like I connected and talked. That's awesome. It was yeah, really yeah. sort of opened some eyes, and it was like, it's kind of nice doing those shows. The other one was opening for a Swansea band called I think they're Swansea, maybe the Cardiff, but Thirty Three.
0: Yes, 33 Swansea based. Well, used yeah. to be, they're not going anywhere, but they were fucking incredible. I and hilarious them. as well. Yeah. Right? Well, it was
2: their first ever show, and I can't remember who was headlining, but I was on tour. Um, I was on tour, so uh, Sons of Thunder, I think, had set up the show.
0: Funnily enough, my brother now plays in Sons of Thunder. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic bandbox. guitarist the way. now. Oh, right.
2: Fantastic. Yeah, because it was Adam, wasn't it? He yeah, looked like Uncle Fester. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so uh, he was, uh, they were, They. The, uh, I don't know, I think it was something to do with Sons of Thunder anyway, but somebody was headlining and the 33 were opening. Yeah. And I was in the middle. And uh, 33 had played their first show, local band, local hardcore band, and everybody's, like, kind of going crazy for them. And I'm like, fuck, I've got an acoustic guitar. I've got to play after <laughs> this. <laughs> this has been hilarious, but I've got to play. I was sat down and everybody's chattering away and everybody's like, ah, and, like the band, obviously, like you know, ecstatic after their first gig. But I know the band Black Eyed Riot from back in my Among the Missing days. Yeah, and yeah. all six of them had come along to watch me, and uh, they all stood up at the front and just went down. And everybody, <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> Shh. everybody quiet. Tim's gonna play, and I was like, okay, nice. <laughs> and I was nice. sat there, we were playing, and there's was like six of the scariest looking dudes in front of me black eyed riot six of the scariest looking fucking dudes I don't think the little bold cynic don't think he's got teeth <laughs> yeah, it's like there with his shirt off with his of Swansea crest tattooed on his chest it's not witless is it I think so, yeah. 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 Did Willis he, sing for Black
0: Eyed Riot? I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah, he's yeah, mental. Yeah, he's yeah, 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 yeah. Still going, still going strong He's still as well, alive. This. That's good to hear. Oh, he's a hell of a boy. A, love the, the, the <laughs>
2: lovely, lovely, lovely lads. In fact, my friend Ronnie is married to Stuart from uh, Black Eyed Riot as well.
0: Ah, well, going back to, funnily enough, my brother. Uh, mm. My brother sings in cigaria, uh, Stu's band. Oh, right.
2: So, yeah. So, you know so, Ronnie as well.
0: Yeah. I, I've never met Ronnie, but I know Stu. Oh, and... yeah,
2: right. Yeah, Stu's a Stu's love. Stu's the best. Um, and uh, that's so the, that I played, and it was like, it was really cool. Everybody seemed to really like it. And then Black Eyed Right were like, right, he's got CDs, buy them. And literally, like, everybody formed a queue and made <laughs> bought CDs. It was like, this is rad. Oh, I wish you guys could come to every gig.
0: Fucking age. <laughs> yeah, just have like tour bouncers. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like,
2: yeah I've, I've, i think it was roddy from black eyed riot has told me that he uh my first album is uh is is one of his favorite albums to make love to his missus with i was like <laughs> <laughs> i'm never going to be able to play those songs without thinking about your spotty ass going up and down <laughs> so uh yeah so uh yeah i kind of started that way and then i lost my job so I, I was i was merely doing it for i think oh god i think i was merely only doing it for like six months and the band fell apart and I was, like, doing the solo thing. I'd been doing it, for, I think it was 2005 the first album came out. And I'd been doing a few shows before that. And, and I was, like, uh, February of 2006. It was, like, lost my job. Yeah, yeah. Um, what I were was, you doing? I was working for the PRS, the Performing oh, Rights okay. Society. And they wanted to make me a manager. And so, somehow I'd been invited out to play in Hong Kong and Japan and Australia yeah and then i played a show with usa's a monster uh the night before all the uh uh the the annual reviews that they do you know you know, they sort of like say how you're doing yeah, sort yeah. Of jobs and i USA's a monster said do you want to come out and tour for two months around the states with us and i was like hell yeah yeah of course Um, like one guy with a guitar this is so easy to do so i was like fuck it i'll make it a whole thing And like world tour so wrote my handing handing it um I'm I'm fucking off out of here in September notice. This, this is in February. I am ha- hand it in, and, uh, and uh, my boss says, oh, we were going to make you a manager. Hmm. I feel bad that you will kind of, well, if you just do this, you'll just leave without any yeah. money, any power. we actually got some redundancies. I'll tell you what, instead of making a manager, I'll put you on the redundancy list. Got on the redundancy list. Within a week, I was, I was out of there, and I was uh, driving a mate of mine on tour, Fucking in Canada, who then bullied every single promoter into putting me on and yeah, <laughs> putting me on opening, and like yeah, it just kind of rolled very, very, very quickly, and then yeah, in the September did the world tour, and that's where I actually met Malcolm as well. Oh wow. so, Yeah, he was at my show in New Haven. <laughs> oh nice! And he asked to record me because he bootlegs gigs. Oh cool! And yeah, we got talking, and I did his radio show, and we stayed in touch, and played some shows out there, and now brought ah. him here
0: fucking hey there you yeah, go yeah
2: so it's all very convoluted but yeah yeah basically within sort of yeah it was February 2006 I started end of February 2006 I started full time touring I only put the first album out in September 2005 oh it was, right uh, so it was like it was like very quickly you've got to learn on your feet I only had seven songs when I started
0: yeah yeah <laughs> and how many
2: albums have you put out since uh, I think it's about 14 now Exactly. yeah yeah hmm. loads of splits and tapes and all sorts of nonsense yeah I've done a lot of records
0: um with that much of a back catalogue though do you ever find yourself thinking like oh shit that song I've completely forgotten that song existed
2: yeah there's been a couple that I'm <laughs> like I was like maybe I'll do that one tonight hmm yeah there's one there was one I was I was gonna do uh, a few weeks ago and it was like Tale of Snake Pass it's about driving down Snake Pass in um uh, uh, in the middle of, but it's between in Sheffield and Manchester, basically. Okay, okay. And it's this big windy pass, and I stopped there t- uh, for a break and on a drive and uh, having a cigarette. And there was some g- very attractive young lady skinny dipping. Oh, right. And it's kind of about that, but <laughs> <laughs> I will put it in much more beautiful terms. Yeah. But yeah. I can't remember <laughs> how to play that song. Oh, really? All. I've totally forgotten how it goes. Oh that's nice. <laughs> I <right>. tried to <laughs> try to remember. So there are some, you do, some songs you do forget, but I actually I'm always surprised myself how how many I do remember. Yeah, mm, and that. So yeah, I'm always writing, always creating. Um, I suffer from uh, mental illness, which is explains a lot about why why I'm like I am. Mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have manic depression, so if I'm not busy, I crash really yeah, badly, yeah. and I I suffer when I'm. When I'm really low, I mean, yeah, you have moments on the road, but, like, the gigs will pull you through quite often. It's
0: It gives you the um, the target or something to yeah. focus on, so uh, I guess, because I've only ever dealt with it... I, I don't want to play it down. Like, I have dealt with my issues with, like, depression, anxiety as well, but mm. I, I I can't say, obviously, not knowing other people's personal experience, but I don't feel they were as bad as they could have been. But yeah. I always felt in those times... That is, like, you either sit down and you fester in it or if I had something to work on. I'll I'll even have, like, times now where I'll just be sat there watching TV and I'm, like, I'm just going to headbutt the wall unless I get up and, like, just go draw something or just play
2: a guitar. Exactly, yeah, yeah. It's really good. Creation is really good for mental illness. And uh, I've... Yeah, and it's kind of why I'm so manic and I do like nearly 300 shows a year. <laughs>
0: you are re- one of the hardest working musicians I've met. I've released,
2: released so many records and have like new ideas for records every uh, every few minutes. In fact, uh, like the Country album did in the summer was just like, I've, I've wanted to do that for five years and I finally could be able to afford to do it. Oh, cool. I've got strings on it and pedal steel guitars and all sorts of nonsense, double oh, bass. Oh, uh, A guy called Tim Loud on double bass and... Uh, uh, two members of a black metal band playing uh on a country record which <laughs> is hilarious um band called the Forest of Stars are amazing Their drummer and violin player play on the record and uh, I've, I've finally been able to record that one and it felt like such a, an achievement because it's some it's a record I've had written for like a long time and yeah get it done. Uh, um, next one I've started I started it in uh I've been playing a couple of the songs on this tour but um I started writing a new one, and I had a, a forced day off, thanks to uh, football in Italy. Oh, really? Football is like a religion out there. Yeah. So the venue was right next to the Napoli Stadium. Oh. It was a big crunch, big crunch game. <laughs> they'd, moved the sh- they'd moved the game to 7 o'clock at night on the Sunday, which oh, was shit. supposed to be at 3 on the Saturday. So no gig. No, no. The guy no. paid me the money and gave me a hotel room and said I'm really sorry it can't happen because of the football uh, the police won't allow it Okay. so I was like okay what am I going to do so rather than sit there and fester and be all depressed about the gig not happening yeah, I was yeah. like try and be positive and start writing an album and it flowed really really quickly so it's not done by any stretch yeah yeah but I've um, got two months off in the summer to write my book so um, I'm going to try and write some songs as well um Finish off some of these songs, but yeah, I've written a sort of emo album. Okay, I, if uh, I guess. but when you
0: say emo, uh, are you talking like, um say like American football emo, jawbreaker emo, like yeah, funeral for a friend? That, that's emo, where right?
2: we're, we're we're talking sort of jaw. Well, uh jawbreaker, jets to Brazil, nice American football. There's one song. The, the
0: good side of emo.
2: None of yeah. This when like, it wasn't a dirty word. Yeah,
0: none of like the haircuts yeah. and jump kicks kind of emo. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Actually, Funeral for a Friend's a funny one. Soon the Darkness actually were the band that... Uh, my old hardcore band, yeah, the yeah. Band, were the band that East West wanted to sign. Oh, really? Uh, originally. And they signed Funeral for a Friend instead of us because we said no. <laughs> so I can only apologise to everybody yeah. for Funeral for a Friend.
0: <laughs> well, at least we actually finally have your public apology. Yeah, that's, I'm that's, sorry that's, about that's a positive that. step, Tim. I'm proud of you. The rest
2: of the band just didn't want to do it. Uh, also, the... Uh, the uh, the the East West wanted to change some of our songs and stuff. and uh. they, wanted to, they wanted to tone down the political side of a, a lot of the lyrics because I was I was like twenty one when I was in that band. All oh, right, I was angry and political yeah. and idealistic. I didn't sing about three legged dogs with one eyes like I sing now. <laughs> so they wanted to
0: make it more palatable for, yeah, uh, they for they a wider like audience. Maybe
2: maybe maybe less about smashing the system and uh, <laughs> uh, and how fucked
0: everything is and yeah. Nice, there you go. So, as I say, uh, coming up, you've got the country album, the, the book, anything else in
2: the pipeline? Um, doing some electronic music. That's kind of bubbling under, but that's been bubbling under for a while. I'm still trying to learn how to make electronic music. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. not like
0: electronics in like a band with plugged in instruments, like digital music.
2: Digital, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to make sort of like, I guess it's sort of somewhere between Ortaka, Aphex Twin, and uh, Depeche Mode. I'm going to put vocals on it though. And some guitars and things. It's, it's getting there. It's just, it's learning process and that will happen when it happens. And in fact, that actually, that whole album is, is, is based around mental health and all the money from it's going to go to a mental health charity. That's fantastic. That's really good. Yeah. So, so yeah, I just, I keep busy. I just can't not keep busy if I, um, you know, when I'm off tour, I'm, I try and do as much with like booking. I do a lot of my own booking. um, a very. Um. I've I've had some things recently. That I've, I'm a. I'm always been a bit of a control freak, and I like to do things myself. Okay. <laughs> and I'm starting to let go. I signed a publishing deal now. Yeah, yeah. He, so he does all my publishing. He's very good, and I um, I'm working with a label called R Real Records. Yeah, yeah. Based yeah. in Cambridge, and he's fantastic. He gets a lot of stuff sorted because I just don't have time when I'm on the road.
0: I, could, I was going to say, you know, you are someone who as far as I see through our limited connection, is just constantly on the road and touring. And I can imagine finding the time for the, the admin side of things, I can imagine it's a total wall breaker yeah. at times. Sometimes
2: I do feel like I'm married to my phone. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> like turn up to a venue and like, hi, I don't like going straight in and go, that seems to be a band thing recently. It's like, Where's walking, the plug? Where's the Wi-Fi? Yeah, 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 where's the Wi-Fi? Yeah, <laughs> it's like, I, I do go in and like socialize, but sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, can I get some Wi-Fi? Do you have it? So I can just kind of keep on top of things. It's like plugging a sinking ship. (laughs) But more and more I am starting to work with a few bookers now as well. Like in Italy, I have a a booker there. And it's been an amazing experience because I just give him my dates and then he tells me where I'm going. Oh, nice. And the gigs are fantastic. And um, Yeah, I've had some very attractive young ladies offer me nights with them that I've not Mm. taken up because... uh, a very loyal dude, and I've been with my girlfriend for 15 years. So. Oh wow! Yeah, she's 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 the, she's the uh, she's the one in it all that uh, you know keeps this all sort of keeps me sane. <laughs> <laughs> the center point. Yeah, <laughs> I go back to her, and if I'm yeah, you know, if I'm off for a couple of days, at least I know I'll, yeah, catch up with her and stuff. And, oh, fantastic. and in fact, actually, I, 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 I even when I make boo boos, like I'm um, coming to play the festival that Ty's putting on. Yeah, the um, um,
0: was it all day at the bay. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I've, got to, I've got to run at some point because I've got to get back because the next day I'm taking her to Belgium to see Nine Inch Nails, her favourite band. Oh, I shit. I boo-booed and double-booked myself, but we were like, I was like, honey, do you think this can work if we go out on the Sunday morning? She's like, you won't be tired, will you? I was like, no, 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 I'll uh, just drink shitloads of coffee and watch Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> I might be a bit shitty on the Monday. Yeah, yeah.
0: But, I completely double-booked on that as well. And the day of uh, that gig, I'm flying to Portugal, so uh, I, I can't make that Anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, well Tim, um, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting. Thanks very you. much, Looking for forward having to catching your set tonight. Yes, yeah.
2: Hopefully, I might, I might do some new songs tonight. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see.
0: Next time you're in the hood, we'll uh, we'll catch up again. Yes, definitely, man. Excellent. Take Cheers, care, brother. Bro. Cheers.